<clears throat> Hold on. <clears throat> Peter Piper picked a pick of pickled peppers. Peck. Picked a peck. Fuck! Welcome to episode 359 of Design Details. I'm Brian Levin. And I'm Marshall Black. Welcome back for another episode. Brian, how you doing, man? Hanging in. Coming off a week of being a little sick under Mm -hmm. the weather. I got my first COVID test. That was fun. Negative. But hey, I learned something. I'll tell you this. So you know how in the pictures they like shove a Q-tip like back to the end of your brain and swab it around? Well, apparently that method is a little outdated already because there's a new method where they just hand you a Q-tip and they tell you just gently push it up your nose until you feel some resistance and then swab it around. And it was actually just fine. It wasn't even that uncomfortable. But I'll tell you this. I had both. (laughs) I took two COVID tests last week. Okay. And I had one of each. Yes. And both of them were fine. They were okay. I don't know. I, I think maybe everyone experiences pain differently, but... I didn't find them to be as unpleasant as everybody has said. In fact, I might go back for more. <laughs> I might just make it, it a daily. It was quite or... pleasant, actually. I might just make it a weekly I might occurrence. even just start sticking Q-tips up my nose at home for fun. I don't know. Yeah, you know. It's, uh, it's cheap thrills, Brian. Cheap thrills. All right, well, let's get into the episode. First of all, huge shout out to Float Marshall. Did you know that teams in more than 150 countries around the world are using Float for resource planning? Rhetorical? Yes, I did know that, actually. Uh, That's because it's in our notes. That's because Float (laughs) is the number one rated resource management software on G2. You can learn more at float.com slash design details. Thank you, Float. We also have another pretty massive list of new, uh, very important pixels this week. Holy shit. Amazing. I got to say, we, we crossed 300. So that's another little milestone moment. Can we call these milestone moments? Sure. Um, milestone moment 300 supporters so a huge shout out to our new supporters thomas eckert soren grobke sveta goldstein juliana s farfama hargaya christopher woodside danny who jatin sanket patuk sorry that person sent me the pronunciation and i hope i got it uh tin kadoy christopher drakeford Agnes, David Luft, and Jeremy Michaels Lim. Thank you all for uh, supporting the show this week. Holy shit. What a list. (laughs) What a list. And I wanted to do one small bit of follow-up because last week we did call out a new supporter by the name of Matt, and we kind of made a joke about how it was only the first name Matt. Well, Matt updated his Patreon profile and is Matt Harney. So thanks again, Matt, for supporting the show. Thanks, Matt Harney. If you didn't know, we're a listener-supported podcast. We are able to record this every week because of the support of you, dear listeners. Uh, this week, we crossed 300 of you. Thank you all so much. Thank you. Uh, literally pays for the software and all the tools we use and makes this possible every week. If you would like to support the show... Uh, you can go to patreon.com slash design details and for just a buck a month, you can support us. And when you do, you get access to a new supporter only segment of the show called the sidebar. And the sidebar is like, I don't know, like a weekly cool things, but super design specific. 
Last week, we talked about video game UI design. And this week, we talked about how to build a cross-team sort of North Star design vision. So if that sounds interesting and you want to get full episodes of the podcast going forward and get access to the whole backlog, go to patreon.com slash design details and sign up for just a buck a month. Your support means a lot. So thank you all for supporting the show. Thanks, everybody. And with that, let's get into the episode. Uh, some quick follow-up. Marshall, this is some big news. I feel like <laughs> you you want me to play the, uh, what would this be called? Like, the self-obsessed uh, conspiracy theorist in me says that there are Apple product designers listening to our podcast. Yeah. And they heard us talk about macOS Big Sur a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm, and they mm-hmm, heard us mm-hmm. sort of gripe about how in dark mode, the windows get a little bit of background tint from your wallpaper. I think they heard us gripe about that because in the latest beta, there's an option to turn that off. Mm-mm-mm. Our... Uh position as thought leaders in the industry, I think, has, <laughs> has allowed us to you know, have a real impact on the way that products are, are created across the industry. And so when we say something, shit happens, Brian, is, is I yeah. think the, the lesson to learn here. Here's how I would think about it. Every year, people look to Apple events as, I want to see what the next year of design is going to be like. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But just remember that the people who are designing that are really just getting their ideas from us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's a little known secret, but uh, yeah. you're on the inside. <laughs> yeah. You're on the fast, uh, the inside track, fast loop to better design here on the podcast. That was all sarcasm. Please. Know. It's so cool that they built it in like two weeks, you know, too. Yeah, right? Like right after we said it, they had it fixed. It's pretty awesome. Really impressive. Quick turnaround, those Apple folks. Yeah. But I like it. I, I immediately selected it, and dark mode feels oh, yeah. so much cleaner now. It's great. Yep. Yep. Fixed, done, happy, thank you. Nice. Good to go. Uh, and if you'd like to uh, change that preference, you can do so in System Preferences in the General tab, a uh, little checkbox called Allow Wallpaper Tinting in Windows. All right, the, uh, the other piece of follow-up that I wanted to include here is I edited last episode in a podcast editing app called Descript. I think we've talked about it on the show a few times before, but this is the first time I actually took the the plunge and actually edited a whole episode, which was crazy because last episode was a perfect storm of all the things that can go wrong in an episode, Brian. Mm-hmm. Uh, Multi-track f- interview, yeah. Four tracks, yeah, four people talking. One of those people, just due to like a technical snafu, all of our audio was on one of the tracks. So I had four four tracks, but one of them included all four tracks, which was fun to edit around. Uh-huh. We all ummed very, very much. So there were lots of ums and likes and you knows to remove. And I was doing it all in this new application. So it's kind of like the the worst combination of things to happen. But I got it done. And now uh, I, th- I think I'll be using Descript for all future episodes. Well, then that means it worked, right? Well, it has this really nice feature called filler word removal, where I can, in a single click, Brian, I can remove all the ums and uhs and you knows and likes and I means and all of those go away in a single click. And as I'm listening through, if it sounds weird to have it missing, I can always add them back in. They're not lost. They're just kind of hidden. That's so cool. That's yeah. like magic. It's amazing. It's a really cool tool. So if anyone else is making a podcast, I guess you'd recommend check it out? Yeah. it's. I mean, half my time is removing us talking poorly. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, man. Hopefully there wasn't a, a huge difference in quality or no one noticed that it was edited differently than last time. I think I lost my panning options when I exported, so everything was middle aligned rather than panned left and right how I normally do, but hopefully this episode will be fixed. Oh, you know, it'd be kind of fun next time for a, an interview episode is if you and I are on one side and the guest is on another side. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, you know what I do is uh, I, uh, you're always on the left, I'm always on the right, and then when we have one guest, I put them in the middle. Oh. In this most recent one, I put you further left and me further right with one guest in the middle left. And the oh, right, nice, so. nice. Yeah. Very, very fancy. Okay, cool. All right, we have one tweet as well this week. Uh, this is sort of a public service announcement, but we heard from Pavel Sisiak on Twitter says, Hey, DD, is there another way to listen to the pod other than logging into Patreon? I'm listening on Pocket Cast, and Patreon seems miles away from here. So I replied to Pavel, but for those of you who are listening on Patreon for some reason, you don't have to. If you go to our Patreon homepage, there will be a, like, a little box somewhere on there that has a special link just for you if you've subscribed to the show. And you can grab that link and you can put it into any podcast player. I think... In Apple Podcasts, you have to like find a plus button somewhere, and in Overcast, there's a, a plus button somewhere. And I think Pocket Casts, you go to the search tab and like enter the URL. I don't know. They all have these different mechanics, but it is possible to get the supporter-only feed directly in whatever podcast app you want to listen to. So if you're listening on Patreon, that's a mistake. You can just have all this <laughs> combined in, in your main podcast listener. So thanks for the tweet, Pavel, and sorry that took so long to figure out. It's not super intuitive. Okay, onwards to our main topic. We have a listener question by the very famous uh, Katarina Blind. Welcome back, Katarina. Yeah, yeah. Hello. <laughs> When's the new movie coming out? <laughs> Katarina says, so for a while now, I've been wondering about design systems. Ooh, Marshall, right up your alley. Okay. Mm-hmm. I know that especially for bigger companies with several people working on a project, it can really help to create one unified UI. But I'm curious about whether that can impact creativity. If the design elements are already established, it seems like that takes away quite a bit of the design process. There's a lot of talk about pixel pushing and getting the typography, color, alignment, etc. just right. So if that's taken care of by a design system, it appears as if what's left to design is just the combination of elements. Mm-hmm. Do design systems destroy creativity? <laughs> Excited to hear your thoughts. Yeah, this is a, a valid concern, right? Here's where I come down on it. No design system is complete. It's always evolving. If you work at a place where they say you can't make anything new, that sucks and they're doing it wrong. Uh, so everything should evolve. There should You should never feel like you're completely boxed in. But if you have a thoroughly robust system in place that can account for most of the use cases that you would have for your users, then why reinvent the wheel? Now, the thing that can feel constraining here is that like, well, I, I never actually think about the pieces. I'm just putting them in different combinations. But I think, I think the important thing to keep in mind here is that design systems allow us to focus on the UX rather than the UI. And the more you're thinking about pushing those pixels around, the less you're actually thinking about solving the user problem <laughs> that you're presented with, right? And it's real easy, man. It's real fucking easy to get caught up in those pixels and the type sizes and the spacing and padding and margins and all that shit because uh, it's fun. That's the fun stuff. But what's the important stuff is does this solve the user problem? So if you can't put together the pieces in a way that solves your user problem, guess what? Time to make new pieces and you get to evolve the system. 
Yeah, I, that's where I feel like there should be a healthy tension, which is like if you are working on a user problem where it could be solved by just stacking together a bunch of Lego components, that's great. It sounds like it was yeah. maybe a relatively simple user problem. And the fact that you could just stack together some Legos and move on is fucking awesome. That's great. That's a sign of a good design system. Yeah. There are harder problems that exist for users where the creativity comes in, all right, which elements are we using? Uh, What's the right combination of elements across flows? And then finding that tension between, okay, we've designed this using existing components, but I think it could actually be better if we did this or if we did that, if we combine these things into one different, slightly uh, mutated version of this component. Mm -hmm. And if you can articulate that and define it and test it, and prototype it and like show all of this process into why a certain thing is better, then that work goes back upstream to the design system that everyone inherits your brilliant thinking, mm-hmm. which is cool. It should really be a two-way process. So that was the first thing that stood out when you were going through all that, Marshall. The second thing that stood out to me was I was just wondering, like maybe this listener, Katerina, like, I don't know, or if you're really interested in type, color, spacing all this kind of stuff like maybe a design systems role is up your alley like maybe that's a good place for people who feel like they've missed out on that part of the work to find Mm -hmm. a home like oh i want to spend a lot of time thinking about grid systems and and type sizes and all this kind of stuff maybe the design systems team is is the calling would you agree with that or or do you feel like that's an unnecessary trade-off um, if it's all you want to do, then yeah, if, if you still want to spend time solving user problems and because the more you work on design system, the more your customer is the designer and not the user, your user is the designer, right? So it's a big shift in who you're designing for and, and who your client is. But I think there's room to, to kind of have a foot in both worlds. Like, if you have a passion for something and your design systems team is cool and, and wants your help, which I can't imagine they wouldn't want an extra brain and pair of hands, they would be willing to have you contribute. So if they're open to it, I would say, yeah, like keep doing your regular thing, but uh, give advice where you can and like see if you can get yourself a seat at that table. In my limited experience being Facebook and GitHub is that design systems designers are typically hungry to work with a product designer like that is a a conversation loop that doesn't happen frequently enough and they're itching to see like hey did this thing that i made does it actually work in practice like are you using it where are the rough edges how can i make it better for you like if you really think of the design systems team as like a producer of things for other designers they want that feedback loop they want to do those Mm -hmm. have those conversations and make their product better for you so I, I would, yeah, avoid like trying to draw any hard line. I think you're right. There's a place for both, but certainly like a dialogue to push back and commit things upstream to the system and contribute to that. Another good way to get something into the system is to find someone else who has a similar need as yours that you could have a shared solution. It's always hard to suggest a one-off solution for, for any given thing. But if there are more people that can utilize that thing it's a lot easier argument to have of let's spend time building this thing because more than one team will use it um another thing that i was thinking of earlier was the the danger with the design system and with designers feeling like it's not enough or that that their problems aren't being solved is is 
people will use those Lego pieces in ways that the Legos weren't intended to be used and start to muddy down the meaning of a particular element. So for example, uh, let's say there's a, a, a main action in our app like buy. It's a shopping app and there's a buy button. If I use that buy button to mean something other than buy, it muddies what it means to be a purchase button. Yep, and yep, now yep. the user doesn't know what to expect when they tap on that thing. So diluting the meaning of the patterns is a concern for design systems if people don't understand what each piece means. And if you haven't presented it in, a, in such a way that they don't have to reach out to anybody to know how to use the thing, right? I feel like this is kind of a small plug for Figma, but they do have this interesting <laughs> analytics tool for design systems team where you can see how many people mm -hmm. detach an instance of a component. Mm -hmm. And that's mm -hmm. kind of like a nice heuristic of, hey, this thing is, people are like trying to transform it. They're, it's a little too rigid for them and they're trying to escape the bounding boxes of it more or less. Yeah, yeah, number of detaches is a great indicator that your your Lego is not sufficient for yeah. your clients. But even still, okay, you have great collaboration, you have a wonderful team process, you're committing to the design system. Eventually, design systems become really mature and they have made decisions over the course of years and research and hours and times change like things change user experiences change user expectations change interface trends change uh like a good one that comes to mind is like modals as bottom sheets that like sort of push the main view into the background of a mobile phone like that was kind of a new visual interaction trend that is now very very common and like how how would you navigate that tension like you have a good dialogue with your team but you also want to push the entire system forward and like break some established, well-researched patterns that work because if you don't do that, you're going to get dated. <laughs> I don't know. Is that is that a useful reason to redesign a thing because it looks dated? But that's where I could see a design system feeling inhibiting or constraining. Like, hey, there's all these things that I want to try, but I can't seem to get over the hurdle of like, oh, well, what exists today is well-researched, established, it works, it, it drives engagement, it does this, that, and the other. The only solution that's coming to mind for me is really to like prove it. If you have a better idea, to prove it with data or research or a prototype, like stretch your creative muscle, come up with a better solution, build it, prototype it, and then show it to the people. Prove that you've put in the work to see if it actually is the right pattern feel like that's a, a good path here because I, I could see there being maybe some negative will to designers who just like send over a mock and be like, hey, why don't we do this? It's like there's a lot of consideration and you're only going to discover all those considerations by going through the process of trying to build it and like, okay, shit, I'm building it on this phone. How's it going to work on all different phone sizes? How's it going to work in landscape? How's it going to, will this work on the web? Will this work on this other interface like all these kinds of considerations and if you go through that entire process and show that to a design systems designer they're probably going to really appreciate it and be more open-minded to like hey okay let's you've thought through a lot of it i can maybe carry it the rest of the way yeah th this kind of goes back to what we were talking about in the sidebar a little bit uh talking about design systems and we mentioned the facebook redesign that was like all of a sudden they flipped a switch and it's like hey everything looks different now and 
I, I one of the reasons that I stand in awe of that is that a big consideration for any change in the interface or in their user experience is metrics. And I don't know how you can change everything and not feel like you are in just metrics hell where it's like, I don't know the reason for why things are happening. Usually usually in our industry, Brian, when we change something, we change it very iteratively. We, we It's uh-huh. a controlled uh-huh. situation where we change one variable at a time. You want to release something, you release several experiments, different arms of that experiment that have different configurations, and whichever one does the best, like that's the one that wins usually based on metrics. If you change everything at once, like how do you know which <laughs> thing, which yeah. change changed the metrics if the metrics do change? Especially during the pandemic where it's like, wait, did that number go up because everyone's at home oh, or because we made a good decision? Although yeah. I will say I'm pretty sure Facebook tested the shit out of this in like country-specific rollouts and things like that. Well, anything else to say here? Or should we turn it over to listeners who might tweet at us with suggestions? Yeah, I mean, I'm curious. Am I misguided in that thought of like a a system allows you to stop having to think about all the little details that can be distracting rabbit holes and and instead focus on the thing that's really important, which is the, the user problem? Is that the right? Is that the right mindset? Or... Am I misguided? I don't think you're misguided, but I do think there's different kinds of designers who enjoy going down those rabbit holes. I'm one of them. I Mm -hmm. I like to just make the thing from scratch just to see how it fits on a grid or how they got the type size to feel so well balanced. That's fun. So maybe it's just more Mm -hmm. situational. You know, like on a podcast, we have to condense things (laughs) to uh, a nice, like, what are we at? Like a 15 minute segment. But obviously the world's more complicated and it's probably going to be things will change situationally based on the feature, the timeline, the priority, the type of designer you are, the type of design system designer you're working with. Like all these factors play in. So ultimately, like what you said about design systems being a way to remove a lot of distraction, I think it's true. But certainly there's scenarios where you need that distraction. You want to push back on it or figure out where it breaks. So Mm -hmm. I won't say it depends, but... (laughs) It depends, Brian. It kind of depends. All right, Katerina, I hope this was helpful. Listeners, if you have other suggestions or or thoughts about this idea of sort of design systems and designer creativity being at odds, you can tweet at us, at Design Details FM on Twitter. Sweet. Okay, Marshall, let's do cool things in the next four minutes and bounce. Easy. I'll go first. Okay. I watched a very fun movie two nights ago. It's now on Hulu. I don't know if it was out before because it had ratings before. But anyways, it's now streaming on Hulu and it's called Palm Springs. Uh, it's a film starring Andy Samberg, Kristen Milioti, and J.K. Simmons. Oh, okay. By the way, fucking love J.K. Simmons. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. come on. He's so good. What a just... He's J. Jonah Jameson. He's uh, Cave Johnson. He's Juno's dad. And he's so fucking good in this movie. I love it. Anyways, Palm Springs is... It's like a modern day Groundhog's Day. I, I kind of made the mistake of watching the trailer. I would recommend not watching mm. the trailer if you haven't seen it and, and go into it blind and enjoy it. If you like Andy Samberg and that sort of style of comedy, it's dialogue comedy. There's some slapstick stuff in there, but uh, I thought all the performances were great. The story was fun. It's a nice spin on like this style of film. Many people have made a Groundhog's Day sort of reboot. Uh, you have like Live, Die, Repeat, Edge of Tomorrow kind of like action war style. And then this is just mm-hmm. a different flavor. So Palm Springs, it's on Hulu. I enjoyed it. Cool. All right. I might have to watch that. 
My cool thing is also a streaming service program, Brian. Uh, it's All Begun in the Dark, which is on HBO Max. Okay. The new HBO thingy that's purple now. I'll Be Gone in the Dark is uh, a true crime miniseries. Do you know who Patton Oswalt is? Yes. Famous comedian, voice of Remy from Ratatouille. Uh His wife died a few years ago. I don't know if you remember hearing about that. I did not. I I am a fan of Patton Oswalt, so I I was aware of this when it happened, and I I heard inklings that she was working on kind of a, a, a book about a serial killer when she died. And after she died, her friends and family essentially finished the book for her. And then as part of that, they, they made this kind of documentary about both the serial killer that she was trying to solve, as well as her process of trying to solve that in her life and, and, and everything with her family and everything. So uh, it's very good. It's very sad, but there's a happy ending. And it was thoroughly enjoyable. There's six episodes. It's all out now, so you can watch it. You can binge it if you'd like. I think they're about an hour apiece. But it's a combination of like really wholesome, like you know, family family stuff, and combined with that serial kind of like true crime vibe. Really interesting. Highly recommended. Check it out. I, I laughed. I cried. I got creeped out. It was great. Cool. All right. Cool thing. And that's been it. This was episode 359 of the Design Details podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening. If you did, let us know what you thought. We're on Twitter at Design Details FM. You can hit us up anytime. We love to hear from you. And if you did enjoy the show, uh, your support would mean a lot. If you go to patreon.com slash design details, you can support us for just a dollar a month and help make this show possible. So thank you to all of our new supporters this week. We really appreciate it, and we'll uh, see you next week. In honor of the 300, this is goodbye! This is goodbye. <laughs> now you're going to go, this is design details, but oh. this is goodbye was kind of nice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, switch it up. Try to keep you guessing, Brian.